Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of Matthew chapter number 28. The book of Matthew chapter number 28 this morning. Where the Lord says in the book of Matthew again, chapter number 28, says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord ascended or descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel said to him, let me say that again, but the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, and go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this Day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Now, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth, or to the age. Amen. Father, we thank you for your incredible, incredible word. Thank you for the hope that we have today. Lord, the hope that your word uh, tells us about. God, I just pray today, Father, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will rest upon the message and upon the messenger, Lord, today. God, I pray that you will use me today. Lord, I pray that I will become the very oracle, the very mouthpiece, the very spokesperson of God today. And God, I pray, Lord, that you will do the work that needs to be done in the heart of your people, preparing them to receive your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray you will do your work of wooing people to Christ today. Father, all these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. 
Well, for those of you that are guests today, I want to get you caught up with the rest of us. At the end of every year, I spend some time alone with God, and, and I talk to the Lord, and I ask the Lord to give me direction for the coming year. And sometimes God will give me a, a word. Sometimes he will give me direction for the coming year. This past year, as I was speaking to the Lord and talking to the Lord, I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and I, I believe that the Lord told me to, to declare this year a year of prayer. And so our main focus for 2016 is, is prayer. And I began our year with a sermon series on, on prayer. Uh, we, we've been having special prayer meetings, and we will continue to have uh, special prayer meetings throughout, throughout this year. We even, we even have a logo for our prayer emphasis. I'm sure that you've noticed the, the decoration on, on the back of, of the wall of the platform. And, and some have been curious about it, and, and some have been confused as to what it is and, and for what it means. It's simply our logo, our logo to promote a year of prayer. If you look with a creative eye, you will see an arrow pointing upwards to God, reminding us that every day we are to look to Him in prayer. It is also a stylized abstract version of praying hands. So, so hopefully when you see this logo, you will be reminded of our 2016 emphasis, a year of prayer. Well, I was in the middle uh, of our series on prayer. I was praying one day about, about direction as to what to go, what to preach, and what direction to go after our prayer series. And I felt the Lord say to me, miracles follow prayer. And so for the past six weeks, I've been, I've been preaching a series of sermons I'm calling Meditating on the Miracles. And we have taken the miracles of Jesus one by one and taken them apart, dissected them, and looked closely as we meditate on the miracles. Once again in prayer, as I was asking God for direction for Today, realizing that today was Resurrection Sunday and wondering what I should preach and wondering which direction that I, that I should go. Should I stay with our series on miracles or should I leave the series temporarily and preach on the resurrection? And as I was about right here walking and talking and speaking to the Lord and letting the Lord speak to me and getting direction for, for the service today, I heard the Lord say, the resurrection is the greatest miracle. The resurrection is the great. I wish I was this cool. I wish I could. I wish I could put things together so so good as it seems like that I have. Listen, this is none of me, and it's all of Him. I'm not creative, but I do know how to talk to God, and I do know how to listen to. The Lord. So today we're going to conclude our series of meditating on the miracles by meditating on the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've already read about it. Matthew records it in chapter 28. And in Matthew chapter 28, there are five things that I want to point out to you this morning uh, 
In this passage, as we meditate on the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, the first thing that I see in this passage this morning, the first thing I see is the discovery. I see the discovery. And by the way, there are fill-in-the-blank outline on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to fill in the blanks and follow along with me this morning. So the first thing I see is the, I see the discovery. And we see this in verses 5 through 7. Matthew records two women coming to the tomb of Jesus to pay their respects and to anoint his dead body with special spices. What they discovered, no doubt, blew their mind. I want you to notice what they discovered. First of all, I want you to notice that they discovered an empty tomb. An empty tomb. Tomb. Now, now, three days earlier, these same women had witnessed the death of Jesus. And before this, before his death, they had become dedicated followers of him. No doubt they had sat at his feet for hours, day upon day, enjoying the profound teaching of their master. Uh, they had been eyewitnesses of his miracles. They, they were there when he saw Jesus uh, make the blind see and make the cripple walk and make the deaf to hear. They, they had been eyewitnesses of his miracles. Their lives had been radically changed through his ministry. No doubt they were, they were heartbroken as they sat at the foot of his cross and watched him Die. So, so the least that they could do for him was to come to his tomb and, and mourn for him. The least that they could do for him was to come to his tomb and to anoint his body with spices. But on that first resurrection morning, as they arrived at his tomb, they made a great discovery. They discovered an empty tomb. And may I tell you that in 1988, my wife and I were sent to Israel as a gift from the church that we were pastoring at the time for building a new church. And my wife and I toured the the land of our Lord. And my wife and I walked into the tomb where the body of our Lord lay after his crucifixion. And may I tell you this morning that I too am an eyewitness that the tomb was empty. I have been there. I have seen it. Amen. He's gone. He's risen just like he said. Not only did these two women discover an empty tomb, they also discovered an encouraging angel. An encouraging angel. The angel discerned the anxiety in these two women as they wondered what had happened to the body of Jesus. Had it been moved? Had someone stolen the, the, the body of Jesus? Was this some kind of... Of conspiracy. But the angel put their anxieties to rest by saying to them, He is not risen for, or He is not here for He is risen as He said. And the angel said to them, Go and tell the disciples, Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, although Jesus had told them over and over and over again that he would be crucified, but that he would also come back to life three days later, yet the disciples just couldn't grasp it. They just, they just, they just couldn't comprehend it. All they wanted to believe 
They wanted to believe. Oh, they tried to believe, but, but they just couldn't wrap their minds around something as miraculous as a resurrection. And little has changed. Little has changed. Man today still has a hard time appropriating faith to believe in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that relates to our salvation. Man still today thinks if, oh, you know, if I can just be good enough, oh, if I can just do enough good deeds, oh, if I can just somehow pull myself up by my own bootstraps, somehow, somehow I can earn my way to heaven, somehow I can purchase salvation through my good works. But you can't. No matter how good you are, no matter how hard that you try, you simply cannot. And Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. And John 3, 16, the golden text of the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son, that whoever would believe upon him would not have to perish, but could have everlasting life. Oh, hear me this morning. Hear me this morning. Salvation comes only one way. Only one way and that is by placing our faith in God's grace. Placing our faith in God's grace. By placing our faith in what God did for us when he placed Jesus on the cross. Amen? Placing our sins upon him. Him Him taking our punishment. Him dying for us and for our sin. And then being raised from the dead. See, it's not enough. It's not enough that Jesus would die for the sin of man, but he must conquer the sin of man by being raised from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17, he said, if Christ is not risen, he said, your faith is futile. Your faith is useless. Your faith is powerless. He said, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. But all he did rise from the dead. Over 530 eyewitnesses testified to seeing Jesus after his death on the cross and after his burial in a borrowed tomb. And why, why was the tomb borrowed, you might ask? Well, the answer to that is why buy something you're only going to use for three days. Let me tell you this morning that if over 530 eyewitnesses aren't enough proof of his resurrection, oh, as the old song says, you ask me how, I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Yes, I believe he lives because I believe the word of God this morning. And the word of God says that not only did he die, but he was also resurrected from the dead. I believe that this morning, but let me tell you something else. I know he lives because he lives on the inside of me. He walks with me. He talks with me. I have a relationship with him. Amen. You may have an argument this morning but I have an experience with him. I have a relationship with him, and so can you. Not only do I see the discovery, the next thing that I see in this passage is I see the delight. And we see this in verses 8 through 10. Two things that I see here this morning. Number one, their hope was high. Their hope was high. Verse number 8, so they went out quickly 
from the tomb. When the angel told them he's not here, but he's risen as he said, they didn't dilly-dally. They didn't linger there. No, no, no. They went out quickly from the tomb. No doubt they arrived at the tomb with much sadness and, and gloom and despondency and despair. All the hope that Jesus had given to them when he was alive had quickly vanished at the foot of the cross. But the empty tomb and the encouraging angel had restored their hope once again. I don't know this morning, but perhaps you're here today and you have lost hope. You have lost your hope. The circumstances and the situations of your life have drained all of the hope from you. Oh, oh! if this describes you this morning, I have a word from you. I have a word for you from the Lord this morning. And the word is hope. See, Jesus came to earth to live. He came to die. He came to rise again for one purpose. And that purpose was to give us hope. Jesus said in John 10 and 10, I love the amplified version. Jesus said, I came that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance and have it to the full and have it until it overflows. That's the life that Jesus wants you to have. Yes, he wants you to have everlasting life. Yes, he wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. But listen, on the way, on the way, we can, we can also have a hope and we can also have an incredible life and we can have an incredible amount of joy overflowing in our life. That's what Jesus came to provide. If you feel hopeless today, embrace the risen Savior, Jesus. The risen Savior is our hope. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 and 19 says, We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. Listen, as we hold on to the hope that lies lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. Two things I see here. Number one, their hope was high. Number two, their hearts were happy. Their hearts were happy. Verse 8, they went out quickly from the tomb. Notice the next phrase, with great joy. With great joy. Verse number 9 says, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. The first words out of the mouth of Jesus, their resurrected Lord, was rejoice. And verse number 9 says that they came, these two Marys, they came and they held him by the feet and worshipped him. Their hearts, their hearts were happy. Oh, they were filled with joy. The Bible says they grabbed Jesus by the feet. They grabbed him by the feet, asked to hold on to him. See, see, they had known what it was like to have him. And for three days they had known the agony of losing him. And now they had him back. He was their source of joy. And so they grabbed him around the ankles and they held on to him. They held on to their source of joy. May I say to you this morning, there's no true joy outside of Jesus. You'll never find joy in possessions. You'll never find joy in positions. You'll never find joy, true joy in prosperity. No, no, no. True joy, lasting joy, fulfilling joy comes only one way. And that is through a personal relationship with a person, the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So I encourage you this morning, if you have found him, hold on to him. Hold like the two Marys did. Grab a hold of him. And, and if, you have, if you have found him, hold on to him. If you have lost him, I've, I've got good news for you this morning. You can get him back. He's here today to renew your relationship with him. In Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, the psalmist David prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew, say renew, renew a right spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David knew what it was like to have the joy of his salvation, but he also knew what it was like to lose it. And he cried out to God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Maybe that's you this morning. You've known what it was like to be in relationship with Jesus. You've once known what it was like to have the incredible joy of the Lord, but for whatever reason, you've lost the joy. I'm telling this morning, the joy can be restored to you this morning. Look up to Jesus this morning. The resurrected Lord is here to restore joy in your life today. Not only do I see the discovery and the delight, next thing I see in our scripture for today is the deception. And we see this in verses 11 through 15. The deception. Notice first of all the content of this deception. A lie was concocted to say that the disciples came in the middle of the night and stole the body of Jesus and staged the scene to make it look like Jesus had risen from the dead. Notice secondly the contributors, the contributors to this deception. Notice this lie was initiated by the religious leaders of the day. Do you not find that interesting? That the ones that should be looking for the resurrection, the one that should be hoping for the resurrection, these very same people, it was the religious leaders of the day that contributed to this deception that the body of Jesus was only stolen away and he had not actually arisen from the dead. What we need to understand this morning is religion always promotes a program but denies the power. I'll say that again this morning. Religion always promotes a program but denies the power. See, the religion of that day rejected Jesus. They had looked for him, they had talked about him, they had preached about him, they had prophesied about him. But when he came, the religion and the religious leaders of the day rejected the one that was sent. See, see his teachings messed with their theology and their personal addition to the law. And may I add this morning that most religions today still reject the true Jesus of the Bible and still add their man-made rules and I hate to say it but we have done so as well we've added our little add-ons our little thoughts our little twists our little turns our little rules our little regulations hello We have. 
Religion today embraces bits and pieces of Jesus. Some will go as far as say he was a great teacher. Some will even go as far to say he was a prophet, but they will reject him as the Messiah. And many religions today definitely reject him as the only way to heaven. But in John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, I'm a way, I'm a truth, I'm a life, I'm one of many, take your pick. It's multiple choice. No, no, no. Jesus said I'm the way I'm the truth I'm the life and Jesus said you're not getting to heaven no one gets to the father unless they come through me it may seem narrow minded this morning we may seem like bigots this morning but I'm telling you that is the word of God and if we're going to get to heaven we're going to get there only one way and that is through Jesus deception the content of this deception the contributors to this Deception, And then I want you to notice number three, the, the continuation. The continuation, verse 15 says that, that this deception continues to this day. One of the names describing Satan is deceiver. Ever since the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which is man's only hope of salvation, Satan has concocted lie upon lie upon lie to try to deceive man and stop him from believing Jesus. Lies like Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just went unconscious for a while. Well, if you think that is true, let's take you and let's beat you with a cat of nine tails with 39 lashes. And let's crush your skull with a crown made out of thorns. And then let's nail you to a cross and leave you hanging there. And then let's thrust a sword through your side. Let's do all of this and more. And let's see if you die or you just go unconscious. Satan fabricates lies. Another lie he fabricates is is that, okay, he was dead, but he didn't really come back to life. His body was stolen from the tomb to make it appear that he did. But I asked this morning, what about the 530 plus eyewitnesses to his resurrection? And what about the millions upon millions upon millions of people who claim to, to have him living on the inside of, of them? The millions upon millions of people that have a personal relationship with him, that walk with him, that talk with him, that commune with him on a daily basis. The fourth thing that I see in our passage this morning, I see the doubters. And we find the doubters in verses 16 and 17. Notice two things here. First of all, notice the worship. Verse 17 says that when the disciples saw him, they worshipped him. You know, we just read the Bible. We just kind of read it and, okay, I've done my due, you know, and I've read and... Have you ever just stopped to think? Can you even imagine how the disciples must have felt when they saw their risen Lord? The hope that they had in, in Jesus when he was alive. And, and oh man, he gave them meaning 
for his life. Oh, can you imagine Peter, who, you know, was a blue-collar fisherman that, 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 that the, you know, every day he had to, you know, wake up in, before the sun would come up or whenever they fished, maybe at night. I'm not a fisherman, but, but he did, you know, the only thing he had to look forward to was, you know, baiting some more hooks or doing some more fishing. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden he's got meaning. All of a sudden he's got fulfillment in his life as he becomes a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, though, to see the hope drain as they watch their Lord die on the cross. The hope that they once had was, was now gone. Peter had already gone back to his fishing business. The disciples were no doubt in the process of disbanding. I mean, I mean, why should they stay together? The one that had brought them all together had been crucified, and his dead body now lay in a tomb. Can you imagine? Can you imagine these, these, these 11 disciples? But, 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 but wait, but wait, who is this? Jesus, Jesus, is, is, that, is that really you, Jesus? Can you imagine what they must have felt? Can you imagine the emotion that must be exploding on the end? Jesus, is that really you? Jesus, Jesus, you're alive. Jesus, Jesus, you're alive. I ask you this morning, can you even imagine in your wildest, craziest dream? Can you even fathom this morning what it's going to be like when you and I, oh, stand before Jesus and for the first time ever we see Jesus face to face? For me, I have preached thousands of sermons about Jesus. For the past 43 years, I preached a message on the resurrected Lord. I have prayed thousands of prayers to him. Oh, I wonder how am I going to respond when I actually stand face to face with the one that I prayed through all of these years. When I stand face to face with the one that I, that I have preached throughout the land most of my entire life. How am I going to react? Am I going to leap for joy? Am I going to fall at his feet? Am I going to stand in awe? When the two Marys saw their risen Lord, they grabbed him by the feet as to contain him. When the disciples, oh, when they saw their risen Lord, they worshipped him. But then, humanity kicked in. It always does. Sometimes after Sunday, I... I'll say something inappropriate or I'll do something I probably shouldn't do. And, you know, not, I'm not talking about sinning, but, you know, I just, my favorite phrase is, well, obviously, the anointing has lifted. <laughs> oh, oh, they're worshiping their risen Lord. Oh, oh, they're worshiping Him. But all of a sudden, their humanity kicks in. It always does. As you see, notice not only the worship, but notice also the wavering. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. Oh, I, I can resonate with that. Oh, I can resonate with that over the years. 
Some people will get on board, man. They're right with you. <laughs> and some doubted. <laughs> oh, see, at first their faith was strong. And then it began to waver. And some began to doubt. Has it ever happened to you? You might as well admit it. Yes, it has. <laughs> sure it has. Sure it has. Sure it has. Oh, oh listen, I, I, although I'm not encouraging you to doubt this morning, but the truth of the matter is we're human, and it is a human tendency to doubt. Amen. I'm so glad God doesn't throw us under the bus when we doubt. <laughs> and the tendency to doubt will always be present. It's what we do. With our doubts that matter. Amen? Well, you guys are almost perfect. I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm really impressed with you all this morning. Let, let me help the three of you that doubt. Let me, th- let me help the three of you this morning. It's not that we doubt, it's what we do with our doubts. And so the next time that you doubt, try this. When doubt knocks on your door, send faith to answer it. Be like the man that was trying to believe for healing for his son. And he cried out to Jesus and he said, I believe Jesus. I I really believe Jesus. I'm really, really trying to believe Jesus. Would you help me with my unbelief? Listen, friend, God doesn't require perfect faith, but he does require Persistent faith. All right, notice the last thing that I see in our scripture for today, and I must do this very, very quickly this morning. The fifth thing that I see in this passage today is the directions. The directions. Jesus, the resurrected Lord, gives clear direction to his disciples here. And these are also applicable to us. Jesus told them to do three things, and we find these in verses 18 through 20. The first thing Jesus told them to do was to increase. Jesus told them to increase. Jesus said, go make disciples. Now that you have seen me, and now that you know that not only did I die on the cross, but I also came back from the dead, now you need to go and make disciples. You need to go and tell everybody about the life and the death and the resurrection of your Lord. Let me tell you this morning, Jesus didn't save us just so we could sit on a chair and listen to an Easter sermon or listen to a beautiful song from the choir. Amen. He saved us. Amen. So that we could go and make disciples. Jesus said, increase. Second thing he told them to do, he said, was to instruct. He said to instruct, he said to teach them, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We need to understand this morning that salvation is not a one-time thing that stops when you confess Jesus as your Savior. We need to understand that salvation should be the gateway that leads you to a personal relationship with the Savior. Some of you are saved by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. And salvation is salvation, but he didn't save us just 
to be saved, but He saved us, amen, that we might be instrumental in reaching others with a message and that we may tell others, amen, about what Jesus did in our lives and what He can do for them. And we do and to instruct them whatsoever He said in His Word. And the last thing that He told them to do was to include He said, go, make disciples of all the nations. Say, all the nations. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus is not an American Jesus. He's not a Jewish Jesus. He's a world Jesus. He's a, God so loved the world that whosoever would believe upon him would not have to perish, but could have everlasting life. Include, Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations. Jesus died for everyone. He died for every nation. He died for, for every color. He, he, he died for every ethnicity. Today we conclude our series of sermons I'm calling Meditating on the Miracles. And we conclude today by meditating on the greatest miracle of all. Oh, what a great miracle that Jesus performed when he turned the water into wine, saving embarrassment. Oh, what an incredible miracle it was when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. What a great miracle it was when Jesus took a little bitty boy's lunch, five little barley loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus blessed it and break it and multiplied it, and 5,000 families were fed. Oh, you can eat fish and chips. What a great miracle it was. But the greatest miracle of all was the miracle of Jesus Christ, God. He didn't get his existence at his birth. He has always been. But he emptied himself of his rights and his privileges as God. And he came to earth and lived as man. The perfect man. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he went to the cross and he allowed them to nail him to the cross. And he allowed the Father to put all of the sin of all mankind of all ages upon his Son. And take his wrath for sin out upon his only Son. And Jesus died. But he didn't stay dead. The greatest miracle of all was three days later. When he arose, victor over death and hell and the grave. Other religions may boast that their Savior loved them enough to die for them. Christianity is the only one that can say not only did our Savior die, but he rose. And because he lives, we can live. Amen.